Hi, my name is Erin Phelps, and you're listening to We Live in a Music Society. This podcast is a project of mine in which I interview musicians that I think are doing really cool things right now and ask them questions about all the really cool things they're doing with a slight sociological angle. So we're talking about the lived experiences in our lives that lead us to create and listen to the music that we do. Hi everyone, welcome back to the fifth episode of We Live in a Music Society. I'm Erin, as you know, I'm your host, and I am so, so, so excited for this episode of the podcast. Um, Similarly to when I got to talk to John Simmons of Creeks and Balance Composure, um, today I'm getting to talk to someone that I've also looked up to for a really, really long time since I was a teenager. I've been listening to music that he's been a part of for a really long time and continue to listen to music he's a part of now. So today we're going to talk to Ned Russin from Glitterer and Title Fight. So this is honestly just a dream come true for me to talk with him. And um, again, sort of similarly to John Simmons episode, I have a little story that I want to lead in with. I also got to meet Ned. Um, about four years ago. So Title Fight was doing um, a tour for their album Hyperview and uh, this was in 2016 and they were they were doing some festival runs and they were supposed to do Voodoo Fest in New Orleans and Voodoo Fest is known for for having their concert rain or shine. They have never really canceled and that year they happened to cancel because it had rained so hard that weekend um, that the stages were sinking into the mud. So it was really unsafe for people to perform and pe- for people to be there in general. So they had to cancel that day that I was supposed to go and see Title Fight with one of my best friends. So I was really upset, but I had this, I had this feeling that um, Title Fight was gonna make something happen. So I stayed glued to Twitter pretty much all day and waited for them to announce something. And sure enough, they announced that they were gonna do a house show in Metairie, Louisiana, which ends up being an important detail to the story. So Metairie is really close to New Orleans. It is not New Orleans, but it's close to it. So my brother and I, we drove down to New Orleans from Baton Rouge, where I'm from, and we showed up to this house in Metairie, and there are tons of, you know, kids and, and people standing outside waiting to see Title Fight. It was just absolutely packed. It was like a shotgun house. So it was really long and just really packed in there and I could barely see them, but they started playing and it was amazing for about 30 to 45 minutes. And then it got shut down by the police because in Metairie, you can't have loud noises on the weekends past 8 p.m. In New Orleans, you can have loud noises on the weekends until midnight but not in Metairie. So that was kind of the important detail that that um, got the concert shut down. But anyway, so after everyone sort of started clearing out, I sort of waited for everyone to to leave. And then I went up to the band and I got to talk to Ned and it was, it was really fun. He was so kind to me then. And so I'm so excited to talk to him today and to see what he's up to in his new project, Glitter. So let's call Ned and see what he's up to. Uh, yeah, Thank you so much for um, taking time out of your schedule. I know you said you were really busy at the moment. Yeah, it is uh, the beginning of like kind of months 
of busyness for me, but yeah, happy to do this. So I know you just finished touring a couple months ago and you're about to go on tour in Europe. So tell me about how that's been going. Yeah, so I did a West Coast tour um, for about two weeks in January, which was the first tour that I've done in 2020. Um, And it was the first time that I've played a lot of those places. Um, I played California twice last year, um, and both were like really quick uh, little tours, just like three, four days. And so... um, it was nice to do a little bit of a longer run there. And the, sh- the shows are really good. The LA show was probably the best show I've played yet, um, which is really exciting. Um, and, uh, and the tours with this band Justice Prop from LA, and it was, it was just, it was like a really nice, easygoing, enjoyable tour. And yeah, I leave for Europe. Um, that tour starts the third. That's with Turnstile, Gag, and One Step Closer. I'm going to do another tour at the end of the month and touring in April. So yeah, I got a got quite a bit going on. So um, one of the things I got to do recently was talk to John Simmons of Balance Composure and Creeks, mm-hmm. and um, we got to talking about the sort of areas around Philadelphia and how so many bands and musicians like came from that area that have achieved some sort of success. So can you tell me about like growing up with that many bands around you and how title fight sort of fit into that narrative? Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm from uh, Kingston, Pennsylvania, which is about a uh, hundred miles North of Philadelphia. Um, it is not, like, really a part of, like, the Philadelphia scene or, like, Philadelphia, like, um, landscape at all. Um, it, it's pretty far removed. Um, Doylestown is kind of like a halfway point between uh, our area and Philadelphia, but um, they are still kind of, like, in this weird... Um, I don't, I don't know. They're, they're, they're kind of like in a similar situation to, to where I grew up in that it's like kind of its own universe. Um, and that it's like, it, they're close to Philadelphia, but it, it's, it's completely its own contained kind of thing, which is interesting. But, um, the thing is about like that era and that time and, and that those group of bands is that it wasn't like, it, it wasn't something that we, there's still, it's not even something that I think about that there was this like big crucial moment in anything. It was just a group of bands playing together and, and supporting one another and, and, um, in, in similar situations and, in kind of different situations, you know, like Kingston, I think it's peculiar because it's, there's like really no hope for that town. And I mean that in like a, an optimistic kind of way, but it's, it's a place that, um, there's not like, there's no industry. There's not really, uh, a common thread of like people leaving and, and doing something. It's just a place. Um, and so for us that afforded us the opportunity to like kind of do whatever we wanted because nobody really cared. Mm. And it, it just like, it gave us the opportunity to like play a lot of shows in our hometown and to practice a bunch and to just like get to know people 
and to work really hard to write music that we like and like more importantly to like write music that like made our friends go crazy mm -hmm. um and then when we got a little bit older we found like the crew of people in Doylestown and, and down that way and, and then Philly and like further it was it was an interesting kind of thing because it felt similar but at the same time it was it was still uh, I don't know a wholly different kind of experience um, but yeah it's just those are the bands that we like played with and, and the friends that we made and it was I don't know I, I think it was a pretty like nice way to 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 like come into playing music. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to someone who kind of watched it unfold from the outside, um, it did seem like this sort of phenomenon. And talking to you and talking to John, he was like, "Yeah, I don't know if that's like how it was. We just were kind of bored, and we wanted to play music because there's nothing to do." in Pennsylvania and so it's really interesting like talking to you and him who are sort of inside um that realm as as like an outside person yeah I mean I don't it's it I don't think it's me being like humble or modest or anything it's I, it, I just I don't know I, I'm not gonna think of that time in my life as like this magical kind of moment it just doesn't feel that way to me it's um I mean it it does but it's, it's not like, I don't know, the, the bands that I look up to and like the, the things that like got me really excited about music are things that seem like completely unattainable, you know, and like completely mm -hmm. like otherworldly. And the stuff that I was a part of, it's just like, yeah, that's just like what I did. Yeah. And that's like, it, it doesn't feel like the same kind of, it, it doesn't feel like it has like the same weight as those other things, but that's just because it's my experience. And like, I don't think that, I don't know. I, I'm not going to think of my own life as it's like magical story. Right. Um, it's just right. not like how I how I like to think of it. But it, it was a, like I'm I'm totally grateful and totally appreciative of everything that happens. It's just yeah, it's just how we grew up, you know. And it's like the opportunities that we were presented with, in part because of like of not really having much else to do. So sort of shifting back to your work in Title Fight, I've always been a huge fan of your lyrics. And um, I especially loved thinking about the differences in the songs that you sang in Title Fight versus the songs that Jamie sang in Title Fight. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about the differences between the way that you wrote lyrics and the way that he wrote lyrics? Just like the different perspectives in Title Fight and how you sort of collaborated on that? I mean, I can't really speak too much of Jamie's process, um, or Shane. Shane wrote uh, a lot of lyrics in the band as well. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, I don't know. It, it was never a thing of like, there was never really so much a discussion as to the goals or the, um, I don't know, the overarching themes or anything like that uh, in the band that's not to say that we didn't have those conversations at certain points or that, I mean, I, I think maybe especially with Hyperview, we were trying to put together something a little bit more cohesive, mm -hmm. but um, it was really just a thing of like, I have an idea for this song. I'm going to write lyrics for it. You know, whoever staked that claim would go off. 
come back at the next practice with whatever new parts they had and then present it to the band and like that was it you know so it was kind of like it, it was personal in that regard but um I don't know the, like it, I think all of us were coming from a place of trying to like tap into difficult emotions you know yeah. which like sounds trite to say it but we were all like at the time pretty young and like experiencing certain emotions and certain situations and certain things for the first times and I mean these are still kind of situations that in, in like emotions that arise from those situations that still give me pause but it, it was just like we all had our, our ways of thinking about it and discussing it but I, I feel like it was all kind of within the same world and all within this place of like attempting to how do I want to say it? attempting to like make sense of it and to like come to terms with it and to like find some sort of resolution from that mm-hmm. you know so it was like digging through the stuff to get to the other side in a way like and I, I understand that's also like a cliche when talking about you know music or art or anything it's like you know treating that as a kind of therapy but there is a, there is a truth to that you know it's like um, being like a young person and and whatever, being from a small town, being like a guy, uh, there are not like a lot of tools afforded to you to like discuss your emotions in a in a really helpful or like yeah, just I'll just say helpful in a helpful way, mm-hmm. you know. So like music was really important in that regard because it, it gave all of us an outlet to discuss those kind of things that were maybe a little too vulnerable to discuss another situation. So it's this weird kind of like public diary that it became, which is interesting because it's like things that you don't want to talk to other people about, but yet you put it in a song for everybody to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was all like that. kind. I don't know. I understand that's like a, a vague kind of answer to a specific question. I apologize for that, but no, it is. No, it was just a thing of like all of us trying to like figure out what was going on, I'd like to think. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I told my 18-year-old self a long time ago that I would ask you this question if I ever got to talk to you in a setting like this. So there's a line on Make You Cry on Floral Green that I always was really curious about. Mm -hmm. What is the Iram Shrine? Make You Cry is a song that Shane wrote. Uh, So the Shriners are a group, like a fraternal organization, I think. They're kind of like a charitable organization. They do like, they do weird events and like fundraisers and they donate a lot of money to like children's hospitals and like kind of, you know, just nice kind of things. But they are this like weird group of people who wear Fez hats 
and like they put on the circus in our area and they just like kind of are public figures but they have uh they have a, a golf course and like kind of country club up um maybe like 15 minutes outside of of uh kingston mm-hmm. and um there are like a lot of like events there and especially like funerals and so that i believe is a reference to like the events that are held at those places like memorials and funerals and stuff like that and those kind of like somber gatherings um that occur specifically at that place ah okay uh i've always wanted to know that so thank you so much (laughs) yeah no problem. So the last sort of question I have about your time in title fight before we shift to what you're up to now. Can you tell me about writing for Hyperview and what was it like sort of shifting your sound? Um, yeah, I mean, I think writing any record that I've ever been a part of is not, has never had this kind of intentional goal, like a sonic goal or a very specific reference point. Um, that's not really something that I'm interested in. I don't really find it to be a helpful tool to like point towards something that already exists and just use that as like the, the, I don't know, use that as the guide because that is just kind of like, I don't know, that doesn't seem very exciting to me or like creative. I like to think of, I like to think of like playing and writing music and kind of subconscious terms and like trying to allow there to be room for um I don't know allow there to be room for surprises in like the the playing process um and so for for Hyperview which was similar to all the other writing experiences I've had we just got in a room and started playing music together um and those kind of sounds were coming out. Um, and we, we had a couple different, like, um, there, there were a couple different kind of batches of songs that worked. Um, and we gravitated towards the more, uh, towards the songs that you heard on Hyperview. Um, and I don't know, I guess that had to do with personal preference and, and just the context of that time and everything. But, yeah, it was just, a, um, it was just a writing process of, of trying new things. And, and I think the most important part about that whole process at any time is allowing yourself to like, to do something, um, and not try and like put a definition on it mm-hmm. and not try to, to know exactly what you're doing right away. Um, and I think that, I don't know, that has always allowed um, the bands that I've done, hopefully, to like allow room for change. Because I'm not really interested in trying to like redo something. In the same way that I'm not interested in like having a, a band be like the specific reference point, I'm not interested in like trying to have my own band be the specific reference point. I'm just trying to like play music and I think when you, when I try and do that, at least, I, I, it becomes this thing of like, um, I don't know, you're allowing all the new, all the new things, the, the 
experiences, the bands, the sounds, the whatever that you've encountered since the last time you played to enter that process. And so the the difference between like Floral Green and Hyperview or Floral Green and Swing Songs and Hyperview was was pretty vast just because we were like I don't know, we were doing a lot of stuff and we were listening to a lot of bands and I mean like that like that kind of appetite hasn't really like ceased. You know, like I'm still listening to new bands as much as I can and trying to just like be involved as an active listener and also be involved in my own life as like, an active participant in, in experiencing new things and thinking about new things. And when you sit down and play, like those kind of things come out. So I can't specifically, like I, I'm way too close to that situation to tell you like exactly what it was that, that made us make those decisions. Mm-hmm. I can make an educated guess of, of saying a lot of it had to do with being on the road for so long um a lot of it had to do with just um i don't know kind of getting into bands with a lot more effects pedals and and like different sounds and stuff like that um but yeah it was just a culmination of of like of the moment in time that we were in um that made all those things i guess happen and and yeah, and we just kind of like ran with it, which is what I feel like we always did and what I continue to do. Along those same lines, um, with your new project, Glitter, how did that sort of come about? How, how has it felt different than some of the other projects that you've worked on? So I started doing Glitter. The, the first like record came out in uh, August 2017. And it was just this kind of thing that I was messing around with for a little bit. Um, mainly because I had gotten a new instrument. I got like a MIDI keyboard and I was using that and trying to figure out how to make that work. Um, Cause it's something that I've never messed around with before. Like I, I played piano as a kid, took lessons for a while and I never really returned to that. Um, and so I had that like kind of vocabulary, but I didn't have a practical know-how of how to like make a song with those instruments. And so I was just messing around with it. Couldn't really make much sense of it. But as as time went on, I kind of, and this is another example of just like getting into different bands and stuff, like allowing that to, to color your, your process. But I was like getting into bands like, um, like Guided by Voices and this band called Sneaks from Baltimore. Um, who both did these like really short, concise kind of songs that were, I don't know, not like structured around a typical pop kind of formula. It wasn't like first chorus, first chorus, bridge chorus. And that was like really kind of refreshing and exciting to hear. And so that like allowed me to go back to the instrument, which I was kind of like struggling to figure out how to use and approach it with a new way and also kind of getting into more bands like, I don't know, you, I, I feel like I've said this before, but like, I got really into ELO for a minute. Mm-hmm. And they had these like crazy kind of like, like symphonic pop songs with like these really beautiful keyboard parts and stuff. And like just kind of wanting to do these things and, and 
I don't know, try out something different. And so I sat down, wrote a batch of songs, started playing shows, um, you know, and then just kind of kept going with that. And it took me like, it took me a good while to figure out really what I thought the band was and what I thought the sound was. And it kind of took like re-embracing guitars to be the driving force of the band in order for me to understand it, mm-hmm. in order for me to feel like I, I really like was doing what I wanted to be doing and what I thought it was capable of. But it was just, yeah, this like a similar story to the last answer in that it was just, I don't know, trying to like put together all these new things that I was messing around with and making sense of it. And like that kind of came out and it, it took me a while even of like actually doing the, the band and actually playing to feel comfortable in it and to feel like I knew what it was. But I don't know, it, it, it was just like a challenge to myself in a sort of way um, to do a band in this new kind of way and to, to figure it out and to make it feel like it was, I don't know, something worth listening to, I guess. So something I'm, I'm asking um, all the guests I have on my show is what do you think that you've learned about yourself through either writing or just creating music? I mean, there is like the, the hyperbolic answer in which I say that I've learned everything I've learned about myself through music, but I don't know if that's entirely true, but it almost feels like something I, I could say. Um, but I think that the truth of the matter is that like, I learned a lot about social situations. I learned a lot about like the logistics of doing any sort of project, the, like, the, I don't know, the importance of, of trying to, like, fulfill desire and to try and, like, uh, create something uh, regardless of expectations or, or um, precedents. You know, and I think those are all like really valuable things I learned exclusively through through being in a touring band. I think I learned a lot about like uh, lowercase p politics and capital P politics through doing a band. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also through like kind of social situations and interacting with people and, and just having discussions. And then I think like most of all, I kind of like gained the experience to process all that information and try and put that into music. And that is like, that's what I would say. Like, yeah, like I, I learned everything about myself through music, but I think I more learned a skill. Like I learned a critical thinking skill akin to one that you would learn like in college or, you know, I don't know when you try and do like some sort of critical analysis. Like I, I learned that through being in a band and through writing lyrics and through like writing songs and stuff. Um, and I think that's like a really invaluable skill. And I don't think it's exclusive to music. I think you get that in many other places, but the way that I got it and the way that I've like continue to process my, like my own life and, and, and all that, like, yeah, that that's definitely through my experience in music. I went back to school, uh, at like 20, I I was in community college before that, but I I went back to like 
college full time at 25, and I I graduated uh, 2018. What were you studying? I studied creative writing. It was um, I don't know. It was a great experience. I'm really happy to to have had that opportunity. I think that's all the questions I have for you. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but. I really appreciate you talking to me today. I'm such a big fan, so this is so this is like kind of a dream come true. Well, th- thanks for asking me to do it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ned. All right, have a good one. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to We Live in a Music Society. Hit the subscribe or follow button to be notified when my next interview comes out. I'll see you on the next episode.